Break a leg. By the age of 13, I was established as one of the most promising dancers in the school. I was over the worst of my homesickness, as I was having such an amazing time. That's not to say that I didn't miss home anymore. That never really changed, but my life was so full and moving at such a pace that I only felt that familiar pang of homesickness when I was in bed at night, and then I was usually so exhausted that I would soon fall asleep. When I went home for the holidays, I would spend most days out with Miss Claren, attending all her ballet classes as her protégé. This worked for me, as I needed to keep practising in the holidays, and there was no charge for these classes. Mum and Dad were ludicrously protective of me. I was hardly allowed out on my own at all. The only freedom I ever had was when we were in Italy, where I used to ride my bike around the village for hours on end. I felt stifled when I got home, as even at school, where everything was quite strict, I had more freedom than I did at home. So this makes this one particular day very odd. For some strange reason, Mum and Dad had allowed me to go out with my friend on a bus all the way to Kingston. I can't begin to describe how grown up and liberated I felt. Whilst running up the stairs that morning, I had an unbelievable feeling of thankfulness for the strength in my legs. I remember looking at my thighs and simply appreciating the control and skill they provided me with. I know this is a strange thought for a 13-year-old. It must have been some kind of premonition. I put on my brown flared trousers, brown v-necked sweater and white platform clogs. I had never felt this cool in my life. My friend and I caught the bus outside our house, the 118 to Kingston. We had a brilliant time shopping and I bought a bag full of clothes from Chelsea Girl. There was no way that I could have predicted that I wouldn't get the chance to wear those clothes for at least another six months. On the way home, my stop to get off the bus was a couple of stops before my friend's stop. I remember getting off, waving goodbye to her and feeling on top of the world. The bus drew away, passing me. I looked right and left. Everything appeared as clear as it could be on such a busy road. I ran. I simply ran across the road. I didn't feel as if I was racing a car or taking any risk. But out of the blue, a stomach-lurching thump reverberated throughout my entire body and I was flying through the air. Nothing hurt, and I felt as if I was in the air for a very long time. Next thing I knew, I was lying on my front, head to one side with my legs behind me, feeling like they were floating up in the air. Someone pulled my jumper over my bottom, and I felt intensely embarrassed by this. Instantly, the sickening sound of a siren was right next to us, and people were speaking fast and in a panicky way. What looked like a big plastic bag was being pumped up in front of me. I was still on my stomach. The bag was gently threaded over my left leg, so it was suspended within it, and then they slowly turned me over. Now pain ripped through my body. Within minutes, 
the paramedics put a mask over my face, which must have knocked me out because the next thing I remember was being in a high hospital bed with my dad sitting next to me, calmly saying that I wasn't to worry about anything. Don't worry about anything at all, my love. Don't worry about anything at all. And these words have stayed with me all my life, whenever I've been afraid. I drifted in and out of consciousness all day. Once I was on the ward, there seemed to be a constant stream of people around my bed. Mummy was there, and she must have gone to collect Gaina, my little sister, because she was there too. When I opened my eyes again, Mummy was there, but I swear her hair was greyer than it had been just a day before. The day before, I literally scared the life out of her. When people say that the wind had gone from their sails, that's exactly what had happened to her. She looked like she had deflated. Her hair was streaked white and her skin grey. I hate that I caused her so much fear and pain. In theatre, before you go on stage, friends and well-wishers often say to you, break a leg, instead of good luck, which is considered bad luck if said before going on stage. The origin of this term is flaky. I like the version that the side panels on stages are known as legs and breaking them, like a wave breaking, could be construed as entering the stage. But there are many other theories. At this point, that term, break a leg, seemed vital to me as I knew by instinct that that was what had happened to me when that car hit me. People had often said to me, what would you do if you broke a leg when they heard that I was training to be a dancer? And I simply thought I would wait for it to mend and get straight back to dancing. So that was my plan. I had no idea how long that would take. Break a leg it was then. I would need all the luck I could get. The ward. As I was 13, the doctors decided to keep me on the children's ward so that I could have visitors at any time of day. On the adult wards, visitors were only allowed in for an hour in the morning and an hour in the afternoons. I was only just young enough to be on the children's ward and on the limit age-wise as to how they were going to set the break in my leg. I had fractured my femur, the largest bone in the body. The fracture was high in the thigh and in adults, a plate would be inserted and the broken bone would only take weeks to be stable enough to walk. As the doctors thought I was most likely still growing, they decided to let my leg mend slowly in traction to allow for growth in the future. This way of letting a break mend was only done on children. I don't understand the thinking behind it, but traction was the method they decided on. To do this, a metal pin was drilled through my shin, to which they attached fine ropes to bolts at, the, at either end. The ropes went over pulleys at the end of the bed and weights were attached to the ropes. To get the traction correct, the end of the bed was elevated. When I came back from the operating theatre, my dad was waiting on the ward for me. As I opened my eyes, daddy closed his and he passed out, right on the floor. The sight of holes through my shin and the Heath Robinson contraption that literally tied me to the bed was too much for him. I can't remember at what stage it was broken to my parents first and then to me that this slower form of healing was going to take three months. 
three months without leaving that bed. A silent scream went through me and most certainly through my parents too. Not only the realisation that this could end my dream of becoming a ballet dancer, but the logistics for my family getting to and from the hospital on a daily basis was not going to be easy at all. Not a day went by during the three months I was in hospital without my mum, dad and little sister coming to visit me. Mum couldn't drive and dad was at work, but nothing was going to keep them away. Mum would collect my little sister from school and then the two of them would get on the bus and then another bus to come to the hospital where they would stay until my dad came after work and then they stayed for another hour or two. When my evening meal arrived, they would feed Gaynor and then go home at about seven o'clock for mum to cook dinner for her and dad. Gaynor was only about seven, but she never seemed to mind being stuck in the hospital every day after school and at weekends for three months. It must have been a miserable experience for them. I had lots of other visitors, but mum, dad and Gaynor still came every day, no matter how many other people visited. My big sister, Gary, her son, who was the same age as Gaynor, and my brother Gerald came regularly too. In the beginning, some local press came. Local girl has dreams of becoming a ballerina, threatened, but it's still smiling, was the tagline to a dreadful picture of me clutching a furry toy and dutifully smiling for the camera, but looking like I was about to burst into tears. The nurses were sweet, and I befriended one in particular who really took me under her wing. When I had my period, I was mortified when I messed the sheets, but she quickly got them changed and said that she was always trashing sheets when she had her periods. When it was my birthday, she let Daddy bring my record player in and we played Gilbert O'Sullivan's new LP over and over and over again. Visiting siblings of the other children on the ward would run past my bed and swing the weights that were attached to the ropes that were attached to the pin that went right through my shin. Oddly, it didn't actually hurt, but it had a weird stomach-churning effect. Soon my family were like part of the furniture. Day by day. Annabelle and her mum came to see me in hospital quite a few times. They bought me a spirograph, which seemed hugely generous. To be given something in such a lovely shiny box when it wasn't Christmas or my birthday was splendid. At first I wasn't sure what a spirograph was or how on earth I was going to use it whilst I was tied to the blessed hospital bed but it gave me hours of entertainment and the nurses loved coming over and seeing the amazing patterns it produced. Annabelle wrote to me regularly while I was in hospital. Fabulous, long, descriptive letters telling me everything that was going on at school. She would write about all the new girls and how a bed had been saved for me in our new dorm and that one of the new girls was dull and another had terrible asthma that kept everyone awake at night. I wrote back and she read my letters out loud to them but had to edit the bits out where I commented on what Annabelle had said about the new girls. I can just imagine her sitting cross-legged on the top bunk rating my letters as if they were a play. Only she could have read well enough to cut out whole chunks without anybody noticing. She brought books in for me to read and this was one of the best things that came out of my long stay in hospital. 
I had never really read in any volume before, and with so much time to pass, my reading became faster, and I devoured any books available. Annabelle's book choices were perfect. I read The Woman in White, King Solomon's Mine, and Picnic at the Hanging Rock, amongst many others, but those were my favourites. She also brought in my homework from school, but I don't honestly remember doing any of it. The ropes that formed the pulley system for my leg were right in front of my face, and I marked each day off along the ridges of that rope. Ninety days, ninety biro marks. It never got easier for me or my family, but we did settle into a routine. I would read or play Spirograph or I spy with Gaynor while Mum chatted away to another Mum who was Spanish. Mum spoke in Italian and the other Mum spoke in Spanish. They seemed to be able to have perfectly long conversations like this, which amused the nurses. Still, children swung my weights casually as they passed my bed. Still, my stomach churned. <laughs>